This is Paul Nobles from Eat to Perform, and I am sitting here with the not as lovely, that's what I always describe Sarah as lovely, um, Sarah Kumar, but not as lovely Mike Milner and Dr. Brad Dieter. Do you guys want to say hi? What up? How's everybody doing? Okay, so I'm gonna jump right in because we have we have some big topics to, to talk about and some some fun topics to talk about. But I'm gonna start this off because this was something that Mike brought up a little bit earlier. And if you were around CrossFit, you know, uh, let's say, um, you know, probably seven years ago, like everyone had the Mark Ripito, um, you know, uh, fit people are hard to kill, right? Um, T-shirts and, uh, we all thought we were so beast mode, it was unreal. You know, it turns out we just li were listening to too much gangster rap and maybe needed to lay off the coffee a little bit. Um, and so uh, with that, Brad told us a story uh, yesterday that was on the local news where he lives. And so Brad, I'm gonna let you, let you take over on what beast mode actually is. <laughs> so uh, there's... This was in the context of Paul and I were talking yesterday, and I told him, if you think you're hard, you ain't hard as this. And so there's a story, a uh, local news story. There was a like a, a building fire here in Spokane, and there was a guy who was in there, and he, uh, the cops showed up because he, like, it was like an arson fire that he set, and he charged the cops with a knife and got shot up 15 times. He gets taken to the emergency room and he has he's 15 gunshot wounds and the dude's like, he's got a GCS score of 15, which means like he's totally lucid with it, like trying to get up off the stretcher, you know, like trying to walk out of the ER with 15 bullet holes in him. And so I was talking to Paulie Chanel, I was like, if you ever think you're beast mode, you ain't beast mode. That's real beast mode. <laughs> Yeah, I, I just feel like, you know, sometimes people listen to a little much, you know, so as I was, as I was walking my dog this morning, um, there was an air conditioning company and in the back of their truck, there was an air condition and on the side of the box, it said, whatever it takes. And I'm thinking to myself, you ain't all that hard. You ain't about that life air conditioning <laughs> company. You know what I mean? Like, whatever it takes. Seriously, you're an air-conditioned company, you know? <laughs> Mike, what are your thoughts on that? Because actually, you're the one that brought the, this topic up. But, you know, I mean, we're joking about it a little bit. But don't you think that, to a certain extent, you know, it's this beast modification that that sort of hurts people a little bit, right? It really does. And honestly, it's, it's funny because... It was on. It was something that came up with a couple people who had mentioned to me, like people look at me and think, "Oh, you must work out, you know, four hours a day and go beast mode all the time." And I'm like, I really don't do that much. Like, I I don't train like crazy amounts of time in the gym. I spend an hour to an hour and a half max, and I just I train efficiently and smart and like. I don't think of myself at all as like this, you know, I'm, I'm going in there to kill it beast mode. Let's do this. Like, I, and I think it's funny that, you know, the, the perception is out there that, that that's what you need to do to get a certain result. Well, I remember that, um, 
Dave Tate talked about that. And he said, what would be the one thing that, you know, he would do differently? And he said, I, I would use less caffeine. <laughs> I would listen to less hard rock music while I'm lifting. And I would take my time and focus on the end result a little bit more. And I do think that, um, you know, people want to kind of beast mode it up a little bit more than they need to. And it ends up being wrong. And we, we see this all the time, right? Because, you know, when people, when we show people the plans that we do, you know, which I think is interesting because, you know, we've recently started doing that because I didn't, I didn't think that people really knew what we were talking about, you know? And so I wanted to show them the plans and show them the people and that there's all different types of people represented. But the question we get every single time is, you know, how much do these people work out? And they do work out and they do work out hard. But like Mike's saying, right, it's really not about harder as much as it's about smarter. Now, initially, you'll start off in, and harder might be the only option. But harder than the couch is pretty easy, right? Um, and so, you know, as you move to more efficiency, you know, um, and, and that's why any good training program moves from strength to volume, strength to volume, things of that nature. Um, and, and yeah, it was interesting because I was listening to the, the uh, podcast that you guys did with Christian Thibodeau. And he, he kind of touched on that a little bit, right? Where, you know, um, the idea that you're trying to work against personality type, you know, it, it's just not going to get you where you want to be long term. And it's not going to keep you in the game long term. Any thoughts on that, Brad? Yeah, and you know, I think one of the big conversations that's being had too, I think it's, that's important for people to understand is the idea of, you know, minimal effective dose versus like, you know, the other thought is maximal recoverable volume. It's like a lot of people want to have the idea of how can I push up to the wall until I'm going to break and then stop there when you really, what you want to do is how can I do exactly what I need to do to get to the result and then spend all the extra other time focusing on the things that matter, right? I mean, there's this huge window between how much you need to do to get a result, how much you can do before bad things start happening. And those six, seven, eight, nine extra hours a week that you might be spending trying to beast mode it are probably going to be a lot better spent meal prepping, managing stress, sleeping, you know, handling all the other things right because that extra six hours in the gym that's not really going to give you a lot of extra gains can actually be better spent on other things that actually matter a lot more yeah i mean you know i've really started to up my um my ab game a little bit lately and uh you know you could start off with a lot of volume like as an example let's say that you start off at 200 ghd sit-ups right that's that's a you know you can do that in a wad on a crossfit workout but then you ask yourself well what would be more effective right 300 400 500 or what if you looked in the different directions so right now i'm up to 35 pound weighted ghd sit-ups and the other night um you know, I've been used to doing like five sets working up to that weight. Mm -hmm. And the other night I really started to feel strain 
and that strength could be related to a lot of stuff, right? It could be related to the running you did earlier that day or yesterday, or maybe the squats you did the day before. But once I started to feel that strain, I was like, you know what? I think I'm good. And so I ended up, you know, finishing off three sets. Um, and I was doing like a, a triplet of, of planks. Um, <laughs> I took a video and my, my phone died in the middle of the video. Um, but I was doing dragon flags and my wife calls them dragon tails, um, which, which I think is hilarious. So I was doing dragon tails. I was doing um, uh, weighted GHD sit-ups. And, and planks and, and definitely felt it early and just listened to my body. And if I didn't, I'd end up pulling my abs, having an ab strain, not being able to work out for two weeks. And guess what? You know, it's two days later, my abs are still, you know, you know, <laughs> they're still screaming a little bit. Um, all right. So uh, the big topic that I wanted to talk about today, I think is going to be great because you know, it's really uh, sort of a buzzword in the low-fat and um, paleo community um, as people are fighting for clicks. And so what we're really talking about here is, one, whether carb sensitivity exists or not. Is that even a thing, right? Um, and we'll, we'll talk about carb sensitivity and what that basically means. And then, you know, we'll, we'll kind of dissect that a little bit. But yesterday when, when I was asked the question, I brought it to the person like this. I said, what if you had migraine headaches every single day for, you know, two weeks straight and you walked into the doctor and you said to the doctor, doctor, I'm having migraines. I don't know what to do. Can you help me? What's the doctor going to do? The doctor's going to ask you, okay, what are some of the scenarios that are affecting your migraines? Well, I'm on this plan and this plan has me running into a wall at full speed, right? Four times a day. And the doctor looks at her like, oh my God, why are you doing that, Marge? That doesn't make any sense. Well, it does make sense when you know that I'm trying to lose fat, right? It's like, no, no, it doesn't, Marge. It doesn't make sense <laughs> for you to run into a wall four times straight. Well, true, but I did hear it from a guy on the internet. And so... Are you trying to say that this random guy on the internet? And once again, you know, I mean, if you want to say, well, we're guys on the internet, research us, right? Like we have PhDs on staff for a reason. We're not just going out there randomly saying to someone, this is what you should do. So we get more clicks. And so you buy, you know, kind of a shitty program. And we're not, by the way, saying that low carb is necessarily bad. There's elements of eat to perform that are relatively low carb. Today is my low day. I love my low days, right? I love my low days because, you know, it's a relatively chill day to eat. Um, and it's kind of interesting from that perspective. And so what would the prescription for the doctor be? Well, the, the prescription would be don't run into the wall four times a day 
you know, and they said, well, okay, but I've had three concussions in the last two weeks. What do I do about those concussion symptoms? And the doctor will give you kind of a basic time frame, but he's just guessing, right? And the idea being that, you know, when I look back at the person asking the question, you know, through the month of May, you know, we were, we were trying to sort some things out. She was getting used to the plan and, 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 you know, not fully invested at that point. The last three days though, right? All greens, perfect, everything going great. So the answer to the question is, how long will it take to recover from concussions? How long will it take to recover from dieting wrongly over the course of many years? The answer, the true answer, the true answer that the doctor should have told her is we don't know, right? But it's more than three days, right? And that's where I think, you know, we, what we see on a daily basis you know, it's like working through the matrix, you know, when we're looking at plans, you know, we see things so much slower than everybody else. But when you guys look at it, you go, oh, my God, this is so confusing. And one of the reasons why it's so confusing is because your time frame is so much shorter. Right. If you extended that time frame and thought to yourself, well, you know what? I've been dieting for 11 years. Uh, or since I was 11 years old and, and now I'm 57, um, I might want to give this more than three days, right? And so, um, so Brad, let, let's walk through the doctor side of this carb sensitivity idea because, you know, if I'm not being clear, carb sensitivity <coughs> is basically a clickbait term that gurus use to manipulate you to buy whatever they need. And even the good people, right? Even the good people that are cognizant of, you know, uh, you know, why carbs matter and things of this nature, they're always in a race to the bottom with these other folks. You know what I mean? Like um, when I Googled it, it was, um, it was shocking, you know, how many people were fighting for this term that actually doesn't even matter right it's anything it, yeah um yeah. so talk a little bit about you know like don't get too nerdy on us but talk a little bit about you know insulin sensitivity insulin resistance and why that makes a difference and why ultimately you know that's going to be a a, a better answer understanding that than being sold some bill of goods by some snake oil salesman on the internet yeah I mean, let's see if we can break this down as simple as possible. And I mean, the first thing is to not get too far into the weeds. Insulin as a hormone is basically a nutrient selector, right? It's like it switches your body either from, you know, using more carbohydrates immediately for fuel or letting your body use more fats immediately for fuel. But it doesn't really have much to do with like overall metabolism throughout an entire day, right? It's basically like, you know, if you have a generator, right, and you have gas and you have electricity, it's kind of like, okay, are you using electricity power or are you using gas power? It's kind of the same thing, right? But the overall power output of the generator is in watts. So it's kind of the same thing in your body. The insulin is just a selector of different fuels. 
Now, the other key piece to know is the idea of insulin resistance and insulin sensitivity is not due to insulin itself, right? It's due to another process, right? It doesn't really matter if you eat carbohydrates and insulin goes up. That has almost nothing to do with insulin sensitivity. It's all of the other things that are going on in your body that dictate how that insulin is handled. Okay, so, the so idea Brad, of your body is carb sensitive. So Brad, I'm going to interrupt here for just a second because I wanted to talk about something that's you know not commonly thought of, right? So there's the I, I eat a bunch of Oreos, I drink a bunch of Mountain Dew, and now I'm type two diabetes, right? And so so all the low carb people they always use diabetes as the example. But um, if you're not a diabetic, your insulin issues, you know, aren't similar, right? But there is no, one piece. They're completely different. Yeah, and, but there's one piece, though, that I don't think people are aware of. And it's like strength training, right? The more you work on bench press the more your pectorals will, you know, get bigger, right? Um, and so the more you use it, the better it gets. And so in terms of insulin, when you are constantly trying to blunt insulin, you actually become a level of insulin resistant down at the low end. And the other piece that I think is really important is that, one, fat stores as fat easier than carbohydrates. That doesn't mean that that fats are bad, right? We're pro-fats and we're pro-carbs because we're pro-energy, right? Like Brad was saying, we want the generator working on, on gas. We want it working on electricity. And so um, I think that that's, that's a big piece that the more you can appropriately use insulin. And so the other the other red herring that that people or the straw man argument that people use is like you know but sugar 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 i mean for us you know when we eat it's actually boring you know mm -hmm. i mean mike how many cupcakes do you down right before a workout right now zero yeah yeah i mean you're drinking vitargo you might have yeah. potatoes with breakfast you know, it's not this sexy, you know, uh, we're, we're down a cheesecake and, and, and going in and, and working out for four or five hours a day just to earn the cheesecake. Right. And um, I think actually you, you brought up a good point, uh, on your last podcast, when you clarified talking about carbs, cause you kind of have people on both sides of the extreme. When they hear that you have the one group who thinks, Oh, that's great. I get an extra bag of Swedish fish. Right. And then you have the other group who thinks, how many more pounds of broccoli can I possibly fit in? And it's like, nobody really thinks about the starches, the potatoes, the rice, like it's boring and they kind of get lost as, you know, that thing to power our, our workouts and, you know, replenish glycogen. You kind of have people who just hang out on both sides of the extreme. Yeah. And I mean, uh, I mean, we've all worked out without having an appropriate amount of carbs, right? And what ends up happening, you know, well, nine times out of 10, I, I'd say, well, probably six times out of 10, you're fine, but you're not a hundred percent. Right. Um, can you go back though, Brad, and talk a little bit about 
um, kind of creating the insulin resistance and then trying to regain insulin sensitivity by introducing carbohydrates again? Yeah. So, I mean, I think probably the, the first place to start is if you are insulin resistant due to being overweight, right? We know that one of the primary mechanisms of being insulin resistant is being overweight. Now, what most people don't realize is what that means is it's not that you have a carb sensitivity problem. You actually have a fat metabolism problem, right? So when you have insulin, when you're insulin resistant, so if you look at people with type two diabetes, they have a sugar management problem because they have a fat metabolism problem, if that makes any sense. Right, no, their basal it, it, fat metabolism is impaired. So I'm going to try and redirect this, right? Because we, you know, we showed Chris. I have multiple other people that are, um, you know, heavier athletes, similar mm -hmm. to what you're talking about. And people are typically blown away at the plans that we write for those people, and they're not recognizing that metabolism is largely dependent on digestion. It's largely dependent on making sure that your muscles are hydrated, and it's also in terms of insulin sensitivity and regaining insulin sensitivity. We know the answers to these problems, right? And exercise is one of them. So mm -hmm. if you're doing a protocol that leaves you fatigued, right, you're missing one of the best best things as it relates to insulin sensitivity, right? Yeah. So, I mean, if we look at everything we know about improving insulin sensitivity, there's three key things we know. Weight loss, physical activity, and inflammation, right? Those are the three big things. If you improve those, your insulin sensitivity goes through the roof compared to where you're at. So, what are the best three ways to handle those? You know, right? Exercise, good sleep, and actually eating well. And eating well means a, you know, a well-rounded diet being able to train and recover and still train, right? We know that carbohydrates can be a key piece to a lot of people's sleep issues. And then the inflammatory piece is usually solved by cleaning up diet quality, losing weight, and improving sleep and stress. Yeah, so so you, you're bringing up such interesting points that I keep wanting to interrupt you because there's so many people that want to place a false narrative on the discussion. Because anytime you start mentioning carbohydrates, they, they, you know, I don't know if you guys remember um, Jack and, uh, or uh, Will and Grace, right? And the Jack, yep. when the Jack character would get like really mad, he would start talking about I, bitch, right? And, and he was trying to, <laughs> he was trying to distract you from the actual matter. And that's how I feel that the meats and veggies people, get when you start talking about carbohydrates well we don't do any cupcakes we don't eat sugar I should you know? and it's like whoa 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 you know when i was four years old okay my mom taught me to eat my meats and veggies right so it's cool that you have a list of meats and veggies right and if you view that list of meats and veggies as a mostly do i'm in I like it. And I stole that from Mike Nelson from back in the day. But if you view it that way, then that's a good thing. But if you're trying to bullshit your way through your false narrative 
by yelling at the top of your lungs every time somebody mentions carbohydrates, just, you know, show me how much you're working out. Show me how much, you know, it's really solving the long-term issue. And I think when we're talking about this, right, and the reason why this became popular, and, and it, was, it was for me. If you don't think that I low-carb, you are wrong, right? I low-carb, did the three-hour sleep thing, you know, all the issues that you have with low-carb, including hypothyroidism, um, which was partially due to just low calories. Because that's the other piece, right? Is that, you know, people start low-carbing, and then they go, well, look at your calories, and then all of a sudden they're eating 250 grams of, uh, of, of fat, you know, 2,500 calories of fat each day, you know. I've got a let me, we can talk about one of our clients, and it's a really interesting story because it talks about insulin sensitivity and actually where more carbohydrates solved some blood glucose problems. Yeah. Right? So we had a, I mean, one of our clients, it was a female, I think mid-40s, um, and, you know, she was having some bad fasting blood glucoses, right? They were creeping up. They were getting into the 115s, 120s, 130s. Um, she wasn't sleeping very well and she went to her doctor and they were like, well, we're going to have to put you on like some metformin or something to control the blood sugar. And so I kind of looked at everything and her, her worst fasting blood sugars were the day after her, her low carb days. Right. So here's the pieces stress, right? She works out a lot. She's not sleeping very well and it's really bad after her low carb days. So what are the things we know can cause some insulin resistance and some elevated blood sugar? Stress, low-carb, cortisol responses. So this is a person who's diabetic in nature, um, and we gave her more carbohydrates. We basically took out her low-carb day, increased her carbs across the board, and her fasting blood sugars went from about 115 to about 85 in two days, and it stayed there since. And that's not just one person. Right. No, that's, I mean, that's, that's, that's one, one thing, example yeah. of thousands of people. Right. And yeah. That's... We had another lady very similar. Right. She was on metformin. She was on a, a GLP one drug. She was having some blood sugar controls. And in a couple of weeks of just managing a lot of these other pieces that are kind of the primary cause, it's not the carbohydrates. Right. Yeah. They actually help solve the problem and get you off the medication. You just have to know what's the trigger. So, Mike, can you talk a little bit about, you know, the study that you sent us the other day? Because I think there is a direct relationship, even though, it, you know, I, I can bridge the gap if you can't. But talk a little bit about what that study talked about. Now, I will say, you know, it, you know, it was a study with rats. You know, it, it's, it, you know, it, it was a very relevant study because even in non-rat studies that has been shown to be true. So talk a little bit about that study. Yeah, so it was a rodent study, but but the biggest takeaway was just that by reducing intake, I think it was by 50%. So this was just a 50% reduction in calories. Um, the measure of metabolism had slowed up to 40% on average over a three week period. So it really wasn't that long. And, you know, the important part of that is obviously it's pretty drastic reduction in metabolism and in a short period. So 
Like, obviously it's a rat study, but if you just think about the amount of time that people spend in caloric deficits and then to think that something like that can be, and that actually did show also that the reverse effect, um, you know, didn't take as long as they anticipated, but um, just the impact of, of a 50% calorie reduction on metabolism, you know, was pretty astounding. Well, and, and just to back up what you're saying, on the Lane Norton podcast, he talked about this, right? He talked about um, how he metabolic carded a, um, and it was a pretty well-known, um, Helms. Um, do you know who I'm talking Eric about? Eric Helms. Yeah. Eric Helms. And so um, he, he talked about met carding Eric Helms. Eric dieted um, for two weeks on a cut right, for a bodybuilding show, and the Met cart was half, right, of where he was two weeks previous to that, and um, so it sort of backs up what you're saying in terms of, you know, now granted, it's just one person, so, um, but we are able to replicate this over thousands of people, and so what Mike is saying is that as you reduce calories, immediately your your metabolism starts to respond negatively and so therefore what we do is we set we set these really short goals for you guys and then once you hit those goals we do the exact opposite of what everyone else thinks that i think it's so interesting to me you know that people are going to be like five years from now you know and, and right now i mean you guys don't see it we see it our database doubles and triples every single month right because the you know there was there's just been a connection with the amount of data and how we use that data that was never really available from just talking to people or looking at their my fitness pal right and uh what we do is when you hit your goals we increase your food because your metabolism is decreasing along the way. And so you're sort of constantly chasing this, you know, um, this paradigm that ends up being much more positive as it relates to your metabolism. Now, is it keeping up to speed? Well, like Mike's saying, you know, we do have people um, right now, um, and I'm going to talk a little bit more about it uh, tomorrow. I, don't, I didn't want to bring it up today, but I will bring it up on the podcast. Is uh, we just opened up a new goal. And the new goal is performance recomp. And so I'll tell you guys how performance recomp goes. And I'll tell you how crazy it is. You know, So performance recomp. You know, and don't request a review asking for performance recomp, right? You can just go into your app and change your goal to performance recomp if you want to. Um, and then we'll just naturally set up your program to do it. But basically what happens is, is your weight goal does not change. And so there's many people, you always wonder like, how do these people get to these superhero macros that, you know, are on the page? And they do it over time. But what we found is kind of what Mike was talking about with the study, that reverse dieting is sort of a myth. You know, it, it, it's, 
you have to be conscious, right? Like you don't want to go from like not eating anything at all to, you know, eating 7,000 calories. But um, what we see is that the people in performance recomp, you know, if we're, if we're setting their, their goal as being stable, I had a gal, well, I had multiple gals, right? Um, that hit it, I'd say once every day or once every other day, right? I, I mean, I can think of, you know, five people off the top of my head like this, right? That, you know, I remember one of my, one of my clients that I work with in coaching, she was at 134. Her calories were lower before she came to our coaching. And now her calories are almost double. And I've increased food, you know, five of the seven days. And in that time, she lost six pounds, right? And she's, you know, messaging me, what kind of voodoo is this? All this other kind of stuff, right? We see these messages all day long, you know. Um, but, you know, she's activated her metabolism, kind of like what Mike was saying, is that you're, you're, you know, we're our own worst enemy. We're the one, we're the people running into the wall nonstop. You know, we don't really know what we're capable of. Right, Mike? Here's another thing to connect the dots there, which is interesting that in that study, total energy expenditure dropped 42%. So what that means is you're eating less. You don't want to move. You don't want to do anything. So yes. what you're saying is increasing this gal, you know, however many times she had more energy to, to move more and do more and be more active. And it's, and it, a lot of times we don't even know that this is happening. You know, it's just your body kind of just doesn't feel like moving and you, and you fidget less and you walk less and you just kind of yes. sit around and you know, that's a, that's a bigger impact that yeah. people don't even think about. You don't have that, na- you don't have that natural energy. It's like, it's like you're looking at this rat cage, right? And then there's this rat, that's over there just like exhausted. And there's this other rat on the wheel all day long. Well, which one do you think? You know, everyone constantly focuses on. And and once again, this is this is your problem, right? You're causing this for yourself because you have this thought process that you're eating too much. And that is the thought process that's kind of holding you back. You know, but what if you naturally could increase your metabolism, you naturally felt more energetic, could you get to that deficit similarly? And would it be frustrating? It might be a little frustrating, right? Like if you, if you, that's why we don't set goals, you know, to lose 20 pounds. We set goals to lose two pounds, right? So we keep you focused. Um, Brad, I interrupted you. Well, I was just going to say is, while we are the first people to actually figure this out and put it in practice and show people that this is the best way to go, there's data in humans that shows this, right? There was a study, and I've written on this, on, um, but I've got the data in front of me. So they basically have, let's say, three groups of people. We'll call them low, medium, and high. And the people who are basically you know, your standard dieting people, right? They were eating 1,800 calories a day. They were burning 2,200 calories a day. Over the span of three years, their body fat went from about 18 and a half to 22. Now, if you look at the high people who you know, ate about 3,300 calories a day and burned about 2,800 calories a day, 
their body fat actually went down from 18 and a half to 16. So, I mean, when you really just think about what's happening is, you know, like Mike said, all of the negative adaptations that happen to human metabolism happen when you don't eat very much food, right? Your, your natural metabolism slows down. Your want to go train and build muscle goes down. Your like physical activity, just all of the things that start to fall apart that make things a bad scenario happen when you diet. Yeah. I mean like all of the good things happen when you eat food. I said recently on one of the videos that I did was why we're right and everybody else is wrong. And this guy came on and said, wow, that's really arrogant things to say that you know more than everyone else knows. And it's not that we know more than everyone else knows, though we do know a lot more than, than other people know because we have the data. For instance, you could say, well, doesn't Fitbit have the data? Doesn't MyFitnessPal have the data? Well, they do. Oh. But they're not looking at it from the standpoint of, of, you know, adding activity, adding, you know, viewing, viewing, you know. Um, well, they also don't have like any decision-based data, right? Yeah, they just that's have, true. It's like they just track it, right? We are, we do this, we see this happen. Yeah. And nobody also- else has that. They make a lot of assumptions about the, the individual as well, based on you know height, gender, weight, everything. And, yeah, and it was a, it was like somebody, one of our clients, it was last week, messaged me, and they said, you know, I've been trying to lose weight, and I put myself into my fitness pal, and they said to lose, you know, five pounds in four weeks, I had to eat, it was like eleven hundred and fifty calories a day. We had her on twenty six hundred, and she lost the exact same amount. So when you, when you can't see what the data is doing and make decisions and then see how you respond and make another decision, if you're just going with X plus Y equals Z and you don't really know Y or X very well, you're not going to get the right answer. Yeah. And so if you look at, see, that's what I say, like, like talking to the guy, what I was saying is there is no advocate for the position that we're putting out there, right? The way that we are, you know? And, you know, this is why, and just so you guys know, um, I mean, we sold out, you know, uh, in, in June for our, our June challenge, and we're going to be opening up July relatively soon, and we're going to sell out of that rel- relatively quickly um, because we're moving to just free trials because I'm, I'm just, you know, we're just willing to show you, you know what I mean? And I don't really see anybody else out there doing that. And the reason why they're not doing that is because the, the failure rate for all the other methods. And so, you know, is really high. Now, Mike, talk a little bit about this because like the standard idea, like what he was talking about was that people have been cutting and bulking all along, right? How is this any different? Well, it's very different. Right. In that, you know, we're not sending your your calories, you're, you know, eating irresponsibly or even if you're eating responsibly, like even if you're bulking with white rice and all this other type of stuff and you put on 50 pounds and then you do like the standard bodybuilding protocol, you know, what we're saying is, is that that is ineffective, you know, and that if you aren't trying to get stage ready. 
right? And you are just a human being and you'd like to be a little bit better human being, you're not necessarily going to need to stuff rice down your face for, you know, wake up at three o'clock in the morning just so you can eat and all that other kind of stuff, right? You would be able to sort of lean out, keep your metabolism high, and then, you know, go from there, right? I mean, so Mike, talk about that just for a second. And then, you know, we're yeah, getting pretty close. Let's to just look at the nature of how that's set up in a standard, you know, dieting protocol when you're trying to cut. It's takeaway food, get down to a certain level, take away more food, do more cardio, take away more food. And, and you're basically just, you know, running out of real estate real quick. Yes. And with us, it's, we're always in a, and we're always in a position of, you know, we have another move. We have, you know, another step we can take by hitting a goal, increasing things. Now, if things stall, you know, we can go one of two ways. We kind of are always in that position of power where, you know, you're in total control of your own destiny. And, and that's, and that's a powerful thing versus just constantly going down, down, down. And even if you look at the reverse of that with a bulking cycle, um, it's not, not all calorie surpluses. Like a lot of the times you'll see the general thought process is, well, a 200 calorie surplus, I can build X amount of muscle. So if I just multiply that and do a thousand calorie surplus, I can build even more muscle and, and it doesn't work like that. So, you know, with us, we have all that data to kind of strategically place things where they need to be and monitor that progress, uh, you know, pretty tightly. Yeah. And customize kind of, uh, it, you know, and, and the customization. So go ahead, Brett, what were you going to say? I mean, I think, you know, like the story you're painting, we can make a really good analogy that I think people can kind of understand is, you know, when you, when you kind of invest in the stock market, right, you can either take a long position or a short position, right? And if you take the short position, you can only make the, the profit of what the losses in the market are, right? They can only go to zero. But if you take the long position, your amount of success is infinite, right? It can always go up. And the way we approach it is, you know, like Mike said, if the standard protocol is you lose weight, we take away food, we add cardio, you lose weight, we take away food, we add cardio. If that's the approach, you run out of real estate. But if the approach is the other way, there's really no end to how much progress you can make and how much better you can get. So let's end on that note, right? So we'll end on this next topic. And the topic is, can you out eat this? Right. And so, I mean, it, you know, just playing devil's advocate because people are listening, you know, I think they understand that they can gain weight eating a little bit more and, or lose weight eating a little bit more, um, exercise a little bit better, sleep a little bit better, have more sex, all that other good stuff. Right. But hey, I still have fat to lose. Isn't there a point where I'm going to max that out? Right. And then what happens then? So, Brad, I'll let you talk about that. So you can, I mean, there's always going to be some limitation, right? You're going to run out of hours of the day to, to go beast mode, right? Or, you know, you're going to run out of volume of food. You just can't eat anymore. Um, but for most people, that ceiling gets to a point where you no longer worry about dieting or food, right? It just becomes a natural part of your life. You're well-fed, you're well-sustained. Um, your training's good and your, your max ceiling is kind of where everybody wants to end up. 
Yeah, and so like to give you guys an example, one of the tools that we're working on is is a plateau tool at the top, right? So let's say that um, you're trying to figure out because I, I think like what you guys don't know is that you have much more potential. I actually wrote this four years ago, right? Because there was all this talk about genetic potential. And, you know, there was, there was a lot of talk about steroids and, and how you could gauge it and things like this. And I basically said was, you know, you can't really say that this is the average when everybody's thinking of it from a limiting standpoint, right? So you can't really say that 2,000 calories is the calories when people can lose weight at 3,400 calories if they're a female and, and 5,000 calories if they're a male. My lightest weight, I was eating 5,000 calories a day, right? Now I was working out a lot, you know, but I eat 3,500 calories now, you know, and... So when we talk about, you know, what ends up happening, it's very simple. One, you're going to ride the train relatively slowly, right? And, and when I say relatively slowly, it sounds like you're not losing weight quick. I would argue that you actually lose more weight doing it the way that we're doing it because what we see all the time, every single day, is that the people come in and they just fire it up and they start giving us greens right from the bat, meaning that they do the plan right from jump. Those people lose five pounds like real quick, right? And, and everybody's like, well, okay, that's water weight. That's okay, but, but it's water weight eating an adequate amount of food, right? And we're increasing their food as they're hitting these goals, so therefore they hit the goals faster. So in theory... You could max out that metabolism, and we will have tools that will allow us to, to do that, right? And so what do we do at that point? Well, we kind of boomerang it back, right? We can, we, you know, once, if you're a female, you know, like in my case, I'm almost a 50-year-old man eating 3,500 calories, right? Weight stable, you know, weight goes down every now and again, but for the most part, you know, I'm kind of like high 170s, like 179. So if I say, well, you know, I want to go through a phase where I don't want to stay 179 because I'm, I'm in performance recomp right now, um, then all I would do is sort of boomerang calories back and then start to slowly work up again, right? And, and so if you think about how everyone else does it, it's the reverse of how everyone else does it. That's how we get people's success, right? And people are going to look back at these, these podcasts that we're doing right now. And I will fully admit to you, right, that four years ago, we didn't put all the pieces together. But like Brad was saying earlier, the pieces are out there, right? It's just a matter of who's going to do it. And truthfully, you know, how many of those low-carb people you know, that have been talking to you about carb sensitivity, right? And, and really kind of making up this ClickBank lie or, you know, um, not ClickBank, um, click, uh, ClickBait lie. Yeah. Are they really going to reverse their position, <laughs> right? 
Like, that would make them hypocrites. Weight Watcher, hypocrite. You know, like all these places that are hypocrites, you know, that, that have been trying to teach you to that the only way is down. Like Mike's saying, that's a constantly closing window. And so you want to be opening the window. Now, you know, are we trying to get you to 15,000 calories where you're running an ultra marathon every day? No, right? Um, there, there is a point where you can out-eat your metabolism, but the good majority of people, like Alex Vieta says, has never tried. They don't, they've never tested the top end. And until you test the top end, you have no idea the value of that. And so when I look at it and go, you know, because I, I know what a lot of people are going to say right off the bat. Okay, um, I'm ready for fat loss, right? I want to boomerang back. No, 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 no. You have to, you have to really give the other side a try. We want to exhaust that piece before we boomerang back. Does that make sense, Brad? I a hundred percent, right? And I think, I think the hard part is we've all been of that mindset, right? Because you're taught one, you're told one story for thirty years. You don't, you don't change your mind overnight. It took me a long time to figure this out, right? I mean, it took me a lot of reading a ton of scientific literature. It took me a ton of working with a lot of clients to really understand that this is the only way to really do it the right way, right? Because if you look at all the other things, they're all the same iteration of the same process. Yes. Of how can I restrict my diet so much that I keep my calories as low as possible? Yes, in it that way- in that way, Weight Watchers is no different than Paleo. The mechanism is still the same, right? Let and and the, the data is so clear on the more you restrict, the worse off you end up. I mean, yeah. there's really no argument there. And and there's, all the scientific people, right? Hi, I'm such and such, the chief scientific officer for such and such. They're all telling you the same thing. And they're not they're not taking into account the massive volume of people that if you looked at it differently, you know, that that would be the answer, right? And they really can't. They're in not in any position to do that because they've been selling you templates where you eat three almonds, right? It's like that it's like saying we were wrong. You know, all that here, here's your money back. You know, we were all wrong, you know. I think the other piece too is it's hard, right? Like this is not the, this is not something you just, you know, you, you sit a client down and you say, Hey, I want you to eat more food. And they go, awesome. And then they get the result, right? It's, I'm, I'm going to take to figure out how to have that piece. No, I'm going to, I think you're actually wrong on that one. Okay. And let me tell you why, right? Cause I know, I know what you're saying. Mentally, we've all been trained to do like we're all dogs, you know, we've been trained to, you know, fetch and stuff like this. But if you knew, like when I wake up every day, and, and I think this is the case for Brad and Mike too, we're excited every day, right? Because people are hitting their goals, they're getting more food, they're loving their life, they're doing awesome things, right? And so that's where I would take Brad to task. Right? Because it becomes easy fast. Right? You it immediately become easy fast. Huh? It 
does become easy fast. Yeah. Like, so like, you know, one of the developers that we work with, you know, I was asking him if he logs his food and he said, no, it's a pain in the butt. I said, but what if you knew that you could get to optimal body composition without killing yourself in the gym? And then in that process, you were, you were getting more food and learning more about how your body works, right? You know, wouldn't you be motivated to know that? Like the only, the only reason why what Brad is saying is true is because there's a negative mechanism in place, right? And you always have this fat loss hammer weighing over your head. But if you didn't have that hammer weighing over your head, you know, you would see the positive in more sex life, more fun with your family, more, you know, everything, more everything, including food, you know? Um, and, and, you know, it's this narrative that when a lot of people will come into the comments after listening to what we're saying, they'll say, you're putting out there a bad narrative. Okay, prove me wrong then, right? You, you can join me to perform for free. Prove me wrong. You know, show me that you cannot do more. Because like Mike said, there's one thing. There's, there's, there's the low carb rat, right, sitting in one end of the cage, you know, exhausted. And then there's the, 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 the rat that's eating fats, eating carbs, eating energy, and he's on the wheel constantly, just naturally. That's just naturally the way your body wants to work. We don't know who we are as human beings. And when Brad says, you know, you know, it took him a while to figure it out, I'll take him to task on that. He hasn't figured it out either because we haven't figured it out. Two years from now, we'll know things that we did not even consider now. But, but the difference is, and I think both Brad and Mike will agree with this, is that we're looking in the right direction. If everybody else is looking in the other direction, you know, then it's going to take a real, like, how long do you think it would take Weight Watchers to pivot to this idea? And how long would it take them to figure it out? Because it took us four years to figure it out, you know? Um, what are your thoughts on that, Mike? Well, it would require them to kind of swallow a, a massive ego and say we had it wrong all along and, and we're sorry to millions of people, but you know that that's not going to happen. Um, but I think that kind of the, to tie both what you're both saying is a lot of times that, that fat loss hammer that's hanging over someone's head, it, it comes from a, from a negative place. It comes from them thinking, uh, you know, something negative about themselves, something they want to change. And they think that, you know, I need to lose this, this stomach. I need to, you know, wear a bikini in the summer. I need to, whatever it may be. Uh, and it comes from a negative place where they feel like in order to change something that they hate about themselves, it's going to take a drastic measure over a short period of time versus looking at it from, I need to take this over a, you know, a consistent change over six months doing it the right way and just hammering the basics consistently over time to come from a, and, and come from a place of loving myself and wanting to do it to, to live more vibrantly, to do more, to achieve more, to really explore the potential that I have. See, but, um, but I'm going to take hammer. you to, I'm going to take you to task just for a second, Mike, because when you keep talking about 
sounds like something where they would not be losing weight, right? And they would not be reaching their goals. And I don't mean it that way. Yeah, yeah. But I, I just want to clarify because I know you don't mean it that way because, you know, I know you see what I see every single day. So, so right. yeah. I'm talking about achieving your goals from a place of because you want to do more and be more and, and you know, actually having the energy and the motivation and, and the excitement to get up every day and, you know, knock it out and, and you're, you know, you're excited about being able to kill it in the gym and feeling you know, well-fed and recovered and sleeping well, um, that's going to get you to where you want to be. Coming from the other place of I need to, you know, I will be happy when I get to X weight. I will feel better if I could just fit in this pair of pants and trying to hammer it from that side. It's just going to start that cycle that a lot of people have been have been doing for a long time without, without seeing that success. So, I mean, I had a client today that told me that she would be happy at um, 120 pounds and, and, you know, she's at like 127. I said, well, I need to be happy now, right? And the goal is is 126.9, right? And, you know, what the problem is, is that you guys are leading the discussion in the industry and you guys don't know what the hell you're doing. Right. And you're not listening to people that are willing to tell you the truth. And, you know, the truth is, is that all that nonsense related to what Mike's talking about, where you're trying to hate yourself lean. Right. The people that love themselves get there. Right. Because they're already there. They're there every single day. You know, when I was 250 pounds, I loved that dude. Right. And that's what got me to where I am today. You know, and if you, you can love yourself today. If you want to do something, walk today. If you want to add some more carbohydrates, add some carbohydrates today, right? You can affect things one second from now in the way that you change things. There's a video that, you know, I put up every now and again. And, you know, the one thing that will change everything in your whole life, it's action, you know? And the problem is, is that if you go at it from the standpoint that Mike's talking about, where you're thinking of it and you're thinking of yourself negatively and you're trying to use that negative piece as motivation. I just challenge you to how much that has really worked for you, right? It's all these people that think my haters are my motivators. No, it's, that's not true. That's, that doesn't, no, you know, it's the hundred people at your gym that are rooting for you to get to where you want to go. That's your motivators. Go find people like you. Go find people that love life. But if you're going to sit there and you're going to look in the mirror and you're going to feel you know, frustrated and disgusted and, you know, all that other type of stuff, you're never getting there, brother. You know, like you're just not, you know. And I mean, I, I, I you know, people will point to the one or two instances. Okay, I'll give you that one or two people can do that, right? The good majority of people that love themselves can be patient and forgive themselves those are the people that succeed long term because they are willing to do some level of trial and error. You know? So that'll be the last thing I say. Brad, any final thoughts um, that you can sum up in a few sentence, sentences? I don't uh, I don't think I can top that. Okay, well we'll end on that. <laughs> Mike, how about how about you? Uh, thanks for uh, 
getting my message across way better than I did. <laughs> well, I just think I just think that um, I just really think that when I look at what we're doing and how we're doing it, um, it's just a joy to be part of this, you know, and that we've been able to figure things out. And does it's, it, just, it's such a it's such a different way to work with people. Yeah. Right. I mean, when you work on building people up and making every day a little bit better, it's much different than trying to make people less every day. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's 180 degrees different. And I mean, I kind of wish like we could have a live stream board of just every time somebody's goal hits, like it pops up on the website with like confetti and balloons and stuff like that. Cause I mean, like, that's what we see, right. Every day we wake up and we see, you know, a hundred people hit their goals today. It's like, that's what it's about. Yeah. I'm trying to, I'm trying to actually, I'll, I'll end on this note. I know I said I was, I was leaving, but, um, I'll, I will actually end on this note. I'm, I'm trying to look at Courtney's macros cause she was coming at it from the standpoint that everyone else was coming at it from, for such a long period of time. Um, but I'm having a hard time pulling it up. So uh, I appreciate you guys being here, filling in for Sarah. Um, I thought we did some good work here. And I uh, appreciate everybody listening. I know someone did ask when we're going to be opening up the free trials again. Uh, right now, you can go to the free trial page. You know, just I just want to double check um, while I'm on here just to make sure um, there are links that you guys have seen, but if you go to the Eat Perform website um, and hit join now, uh, it basically brings you to an opt-in. And those people that are opted in, they will be first in line. We will send them the information before everybody else. Like I said, we sold out very quickly in June. We're going to sell out very quickly in July, you know, um, because obviously we're giving you the chance to try it before you're actually charged, right? So um, appreciate everybody being here. I suspect that we'll be uh, opening things up in uh, probably about two weeks. Appreciate everybody listening, and we'll talk to you guys later. Bye now.